Welcome to Healing Scars with Pastor Burton. Here, you'll find practical, relevant, biblical information. The Bible will be broken down verse by verse so that you get the full context of the scripture to better grow in your relationship with Jesus. Hey everybody, welcome to the sanctuary. And for those of you who are joining us for the first time, let me just say welcome. It is great to have you all with us. And today we're going to talk about something that we all see and we all tend to participate in at church. And we're going to give it a little bit more depth. All right. And this is one of those things that to a point it's 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 kind of taken for granted it's something that's become very legalistic in a sense for uh, a lot of a lot of places of worship and, and what i'm talking about is communion or as some refer to it the lord's supper or the last supper you know it, it's that time when we come together uh you know at, during the service and we had that little wafer you know and that little that little drink that we share in remembrance of jesus you know and, and you know believe it or not there are those who don't know much about it beyond the couple of verses that may or may not be read when it's shared. They they simply just know, hey, this is this is something that uh, we're gonna get, and we're just gonna we're gonna hold it, and we're gonna wait until we're told to eat it or drink it. You know, it's th- this is one of those places in which the church often fails. You know, and and. It, and it's really it's because it falls into that that category of things that we just assume everyone knows. So again, it becomes a bit of a legalistic work that many of us do. So we're going to take a look at that right now. Now, before I get started here, um, I will say you know uh, there's probably going to be a couple things that I miss, and it's really just because I'm trying to compress all this. Uh, for time sakes, uh, but really what I'm going to do is I'm going to go into the bread and the butter of it, you know, the, the meat and potatoes, you should say, you know, we're going to get that cake, I'm not going to throw the icing on it, I'm going to break it down to what it is supposed to be underneath all that stuff, all right, the the most important parts, the parts that we should be thinking about when we participate in this, all right, now, with that said, There are many places in the Bible where we can see Jesus instituting this, all right? And by that, I mean giving us the example and telling us to do it. Uh, Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22, all right? Those are, these are three places. These are typically the most commonly used places that a lot of places, um, a lot of churches go to um, when they are looking at um, scripture that they're going to use for their time in communion. Um, and and you know, j- just little FYI for those of you who are taking notes, um, you know, this is something that you might even just kind of write um, in a margin. But you know, um, just the same, uh, the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those three books as a trio are also referred to as the Synoptic Gospels meaning that they can be viewed and compared easily when placed side by side. All right, these three uh, share witness of the first communion. A little bit of a rabbit trail there, I know. Then there's 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is the place where we will be looking at today. You see, Corinth, it was a major city. And as such, it saw 
plenty of corruption and treachery. It sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? As such, First Corinthians was written. Really, you know, it was written to teach Christians how to live properly while trying to navigate their way around uh, the the corrupt society that they were a part of. You know, and it's really no different today. You know, and this this includes taking corrective action um, to to get evil out of the church, to get corruption out of the church, and to keep it out of the church. You know, I'll remind you, the devil, the devil knows God personally. He knows the word very well, and therefore, he blends in very easily when trying to, uh, you know, influence and corrupt the church himself, which is all the more reason why we should read the Bible, study the word, know the word, so that when something isn't right, we recognize it, and we can correct it. So let's get into it now, shall we? For those with their Bibles, those with their apps, those just taking notes, uh, again, we're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 22 to start. All right, so 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 through 22. The Bible says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly this is not the matter. Paul's not pulling any punches here, is he? He goes straight into it. There should not be praise when the church is being torn apart. He recognizes that there are differences to be had. That in itself is fine. It's going to happen. Nobody's going to agree with everyone and everything 100% of the time. We all see things differently. The problem, however, is when these differences are allowed to create division in the church because division leads to sin and can destroy churches. You know, this is one of those things where I, where I talk, you know, talk about, you know, all these places with all with the cliques and everything, whether it's in, you know, the church staff and, you know, certain people they hang out with or even just different groups within the church and everything. You know, this is why we talked about it before that we need to get over it. We need to bring down those barriers and just be the church. Literally, a lot of churches, they go into their death cycle and this is a big contributor. That's that's why. All right. Now, it's really easy. We could all say, oh, it was the devil. But the reality is that the fault lands directly on the church. Now, here's the thing about these divisions. When everything is said and done, 
those who look to the chaos, you know, they look forward to it, they start it up, they cause the dissension, you know, for all their huff and puff, they don't even realize they're putting themselves in a bad, bad light. You know, people will eventually see them for who they are. And this in itself actually puts the spotlight on the true believers. You know, those people who are showing how to live out the gospel in word and action alike. It's a big thing, isn't it? Next, Paul talks about the Lord's Supper. Now, this is something starting with Jesus, was celebrated regularly by the early church and continues on to this day, right? And it would include basically, you know, coming together in fellowship, you know, to to have that fellowship and to have a small meal. And then afterwards, uh, everybody would, you know, share and participate in communion, so literally, it started with a small meal, you know, not, not wasn't supposed to be anything huge, just a small meal, and then communion. So a little bit different than how we celebrate it today, you know, in, in churches around around the world. Um, however, in Corinth, things, needless to say, had gone astray. You know, they, they, they'd gone so far off the beaten path that it wasn't even funny. Instead of coming together in fellowship, it... It basically became a, a party time, you know, hang out my, with my homies. You know, the clicks would break off. Um, you know, you, you, had, you had a time of gluttony and drunkenness. You know, um, think of the potluck. We've, we've all been to these, you know, to a potluck where you have all those people at the front of the line and they just, they load their plates down. They get more than their fair share, right? And, and they don't leave anything for the people at the back of the line. So by the time the people at the back get up there, there's scraps, there's crumbs, maybe, you know, basically there's really nothing there for them. You know, mo- most of us, if not all of us have been there, right? You know, and that's what, what was happening here. You know, the they'd all come together. You'd have those people who would eat in excess, you know, even to that point where maybe they couldn't even finish everything that they had. So th- things were getting tossed out while other people were left to go hungry. And, and if that wasn't enough, it got worse. You had those who would overindulge in the wine to the point of absolute drunkenness, right? The fellowship was gone. The time of coming together as a church was gone. It was nowhere to be seen. The, that unity and love that should have been there, it was nowhere to be found. You know, let alone the consideration that the meal itself was supposed to be, you know, the small meal, something kind of tied people over to they could get home. And it was to lead into communion. Instead, everything was just getting thrown together and just, you know, everybody having their own little parties, basically. You know, um, kind of like, you know, people going and hanging out at the bar these days, isn't it? You know, or a lot of these other places. That's how it was treated. You know, it's like, yeah, cool, we done that. Let's go eat. Let's get drunk. Party time. You know, Paul, Paul, he condemned these actions. And he was right. He absolutely should have condemned them. Correction was needed. Everyone needed to be reminded of the real purpose of it all. Now we're getting to that. So let's pick it back up in our reading. 1 Corinthians 11. We're now going to look at verses 23 through 26. So 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26. The Bible says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, 
on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That should sit really heavily. Now, for those who have had scripture shared during communion, this part should sound familiar. All right. Uh, Paul is sharing his experience of the first communion, right? The, you know, the last supper. And, and what he's also sharing, you know, is what Jesus had to say at that final meal um, when they were all together before he went to the cross. While different denominations have different views about the emblems themselves, um, we shouldn't place them on the altar as an idol, you know, because just like anything else, uh, it, it's real easy to turn things into an idol, right? Instead, we should listen to what Jesus said and remember what these items represent. First is the bread emblem, which is broken. You know, it's very, you know, this is important. The fact that they point out that it, he, that the bread was broken out of all the words and all the ways to describe it. It, it really, you know, it's like, Oh, he took the bread, you know, and, and it's really, is there any description that's really needed there? You know, in just a general context, no. But instead, Paul took the time, you know, and, and, and it's been used in, in the scripture, you know, to say the bread was broken. Why is this so important? Why is the emphasis here? Well, it's because when we think about the cross, we need to remember that was the final moment of what Jesus had gone through. We need to think of everything as a whole from when he was taken into custody. He was physically broken before going to the cross. His clothes were torn. He was literally whipped and beaten and had a crown of thorns pushed down onto his head. His flesh, his skin, it was torn. He was bloodied. He was tortured. And then after all of that, was still forced to carry his cross to Golgotha knowing what was about to come. Physical and mental torture in the extreme. In the extreme. Not to even mention the torture of being on that cross and what a, a horrible death that was. You know, that that's you know, th- this right here where this is what we should be keeping in mind when we take the bread emblem. Alright? That, that that's what it's referring to. Next is the wine emblem, right? I know some places they use juice, some places use wine. We're not getting into that right now. Like I said, there's some things I'm just, I'm not going to go over for today. So, the wine is representative of Jesus' blood being poured out for us. His love being so great that he took on death for our sins and poured his blood out for us, literally. This is 
of no significant uh, insignificance either. This is very significant. This is huge. You see, back in those days, a blood sacrifice was nothing to be taken for granted. A blood sacrifice was huge. Exodus tells us of the sacrifice of lambs. You know, why? Because they were these meek, you know, innocent animals that would be taken and slaughtered and offered up to God. And then, you know, again, still in the book of Exodus, sheep were slaughtered by the Israelites and their blood was used to mark the doors um, of their homes so that their firstborn children uh, would, you know, would be spared from death. You know, and de- death was coming to take the firstborn children um, of everyone because of, uh, you know, Pharaoh's refusal to obey um, and everything. So this is one of the curses that was poured out. So by marking their door, they were showing that they were, you know, um, God's people. And, and so their their children were spared. Right. And then um, if we go to Isaiah. Uh, chapter 53, verse seven. So Isaiah 53, verse seven. Uh, the Bible says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. It's talking about the perfect lamb sacrifice, Jesus. Jesus. Or again here, uh, matter of fact, if you, if you go to First Peter, First Peter chapter 1. Um, let me find it here. Flipping through myself. There you go. So first Peter chapter one, verse 19, the Bible says, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, the perfect lamb sacrifice. That's who Jesus was for us. Here's how an animal or a blood sacrifice worked. All right. Um, some of you have heard me talk about this before. Some of you have not. So I'm just going to throw it out there for everyone. Uh, basically, an animal would be taken, typically, you know, like a sheep, right? And it would be cut or torn apart. And le- and the blood left to just pour out. You know, it's like a contract, right? It was a promise. And the person who was making this promise would walk around the animal and then through the two parts. And by doing this, what they were saying was basically, if I, if I break my promise, if I go back on my word, if I don't do what I say I'm going to do, may I be torn apart like this animal. Now think about that in the context of Jesus. He was savagely beaten, tortured, and then put through a horrific death on the cross in which he became the sacrificial lamb for us. And this is what he's referring to when he said, the new covenant in my blood. That's what we're remembering during communion. What he went through, what he did for us, his promises for us. An innocent taking on the punishment that he didn't deserve for those he loves so much. That's how much you mean to him. That's how much he loves you. So, when we share communion, we should be 
thinking about his life. We should think of his sacrifice. We should think of his resurrection. We should be thinking of his promises and his return to come. You see, communion itself, it's more than just an act. Communion is the participation in a memorial meal. And this memorial meal is being taken is being had in a holy place at a holy time. And to take anything away from that, to think of it as anything less than that, robs it of its meaning and of its significance. This should never be just some ritualistic thing that we just do. You know, this this is why, you know, a lot of pastors, you know, before going into it, uh, and as as they should be, you know, say, hey, let's take a moment to pray and reflect. Because this is a time that we should be taking to prepare ourselves. Which is why Paul gives these instructions next. So turning back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 34, the Bible says, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. So again, before taking communion, it's a good time to reflect, a good time to pray. Because we need to recognize that Christ died for our sins. We need to give this occasion the proper respect that it deserves. You know, um, we, we need to search ourselves for, for any sins that we still need to confess, any resentment that we still have lingering inside that needs to be let go or dealt with. We need to recognize that in taking part in communion, we are doing so based on our faith and our belief in Christ, our love for our neighbors, and the consideration for everyone who is present. We need to do things in a lovingly and orderly way that allows everyone present to participate as the unified body of Christ, as the church. You know, this meal, it's meant to remove barriers and to recognize our own sin and shortcomings. Matter of fact, and recognize our own sin and shortcomings, that in and of itself should push us to actually participate because in doing so, we open ourselves up and we confess ourselves to God. When we do things properly, that's what we're doing, right? And if you don't honor the body and the blood of Jesus, then you're eating and drinking in sin. 
You're eating and drinking the Lord's judgment upon yourself. That is, is what Paul was talking about when he said this. And, and this is, you know, he said, the, the, matter of fact, he went on and he said, this is why so many are sick. This is how many have fallen asleep. By falling asleep, he was saying, you know, this is why, uh, you know, so many have died. You know, that people in the Corinthian church were being disciplined by God because of their mistreatment of this meal. Right? That, that we need to recognize what happened to them, you know, why people were sick, why some people that we know are sick today because they're not treating it properly. You know, um, why, you know, people, you know, even died because of this, that, that was, that was the discipline that was put there because, you know, it, it was to serve the warning, be like, Hey, you need to take this seriously. You need to do things right. You know, the meal itself, it's not about filling up, you know, it's, it's having a little something together. You know, a little meal together, coming together in fellowship with other believers, remembering and honoring everything that Jesus has done for us, is doing for us, and will do for us. There is so much there, right? It's a way of bringing us together as the body of Christ. It's a church. That's what it should be. So the, the, I know I went through a lot here. That's why I said I'm not going to go through every little thing. This in a nutshell, though, when you have communion, when you participate in communion, you know, or the Last Supper or, you know, how, however it's referred to, um, you know, where, where you go, you know, um, even, you know, the Lord's Supper, um, th- th- this is what it is. This is the meat and potatoes. This is the important aspect of it. Like I said, it should never, ever be a legalistic ritual. So take a moment, you know, take, take a few moments, reflect inwards, reflect on yourself, reflect on how you've done this and how you need to start doing this, what you need to change, what sins um, you have that, that have gone unconfessed. And, you know, talk to God about those, confess them to him. You know, that's, that's why, why Jesus came, you know, so that we, we have this open door where we can communicate directly with the Father. All right. Remember, Jesus loves you, and that's why he did this. You are loved. You are blessed. Now go and be the church. Thank you all for joining us here today at Healing Scars with Pastor Burton. Please like, subscribe, and share our podcast on any platform it is that you tune into us on. If you do have any questions, any prayer requests, or would like to know more about our ministry, you can find us on our website at BeTheLightSanctuary.org or on Facebook at BeTheLightSanctuary. You can also find how to contact us there, whether it's direct message or email. We look forward to hearing from you all. God bless.